Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If we have clarity around our roles at breakdown and we understand the breakdown, that is the greatest, will be the greatest source of success. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Steve Lewis, General Manager of the MLR Team Rugby New York and Sevens Coaching Consultant. Focusing on Sevens, we're going to cut to the root on how you develop an attacking system in Sevens. Steve, are you ready for the knife? I am indeed. Cut away. <laughs> Is Sevens Attack all about avoiding contact and offloading? No, is the very short answer. I think there's, you have to drill it back and you have to start with what is the raw material you have? What, what type of players do you have? What are your strengths or your relative strengths compared to opposition? And based upon that and based upon in, in the sort of competition you're in and the opposition you have, that's when you sort of craft uh, what your attacking strategy can so be. It depends completely on the player, not completely on the players, but mostly on the players. You don't say, here's my strategy. When you arrive with a team, this is what we're going to do. You look at the players first. I do. I mean, we have some abiding principles that will always apply. But okay, I think so you're going to have to give me those abiding principles then. Okay, so I think you have a couple of non-negotiables, which are your catch-pass skills and obviously your aerobic fitness in sevens. So those are probably two that have to be there. And then from that... Well, okay, so that, that sounds great, but you're, you're given the players. You're not going to change their catch-pass in two, three weeks when you're with them. So um, how are you assessing that? What are you going to do with that if they... Don't catch pass as well as you might hope. Well, then one has to play a more limited game. Then right. if you're not, you don't have the ability to go wide, wide. Um, you're probably going to be a bit more physical, a bit more direct if you haven't got the fundamental ball skills to, to, to play the field. Now, I think quite a few coaches will be interested in this because, okay, at, at a top level, uh, we have a high expectation of very skillful players, but most teams won't have the excellent catch pass skills that we might see on the international seven circuit. So just tell me a little bit more about what you mean by a bit more of a physical game. Right. Well, I would say at the top level to make that distinction, again, you have a minimum expectation of, of technical skills and fitness, right? So that we expect different things up there, say um, more junior rugby or amateur rugby, or perhaps college rugby, high school rugby, where you don't have everyone at that level, then you sort of default to a more traditional view of the game where you would have, a couple of physical ball carriers, perhaps a couple of playmakers, and perhaps gas men on the wing, right? So that's the way we used to think about sevens. And at the professional level, you have the luxury of hoping that you get seven or 12 players who are all capable of everything. But again, to, to sort of strip it back, you, you can only really fashion it when you know who you've got, what you've got, and have seen them play together a couple of times. And from that, you can come up with a, a basic attacking strategy for that group of players for that season. I mean, I, I coach multiple teams. It's a different thing. I was at Siena University at the weekend. I'll be going down to Brazil again at second half of the year. There are different levels, so you have to pitch it differently. So uh, the non-negotiables then are the catch pass and aerobic fitness. When you actually arrive with them, what's the? F how do you assess 
assess a team because i mean there some coaches have the luxury of some footage of the team beforehand but let's say you don't have that you are arriving fresh with a team how are you going to start that process i go straight into catch pass so you know the first sort of half an hour you just as you say evaluating what you got so just putting through some basic you know pullback drills and so you just sort of analyze well, what do you mean by a basic pullback drill a pullback drill is a drill where you have four or five stations see on the try line four players on each and then one player is going forward, he's just passing, going five yards, he's just passing. So it's simple passing, but it's about the accuracy. And when, when you're doing that, you can just get a feel if they're doing, got the targets correctly, if the follow-through is correct. So just in that small warm-up drill, you can pick up uh, who's fine on the technical catch pass and who might need a bit of work. And some people it's left, right. And, and you can perhaps then, if it's all going swimmingly, you, you know, stretch them, you make it a bit more challenging, see if they can cope with that, throw a second ball in throw a third ball in, and then you start to get a feel for what level they're at. And then you can repeat that with a couple of other drills, you know, 2v1 attack, that sort of small channels, things like that. So for me, it's always about that first half and I was trying to understand where where are this group of guys or girls and how are we going to pitch it going forward? So we've got we've got an understanding of where they are. What Are there any sort of absolute core things that you do in attack, whether you've got a super duper passing team or uh, maybe a bit, bit of a chunkier, less less skillful team? Yeah, so I'm a big sort of um, old school believer in acronyms, right? So, so because they work for me, because as they get older, you, you can remember shorter phrases and, and words. But um, you know, attacking principles. I mean, it's it's, it's obvious stuff and has been since the, the dawn of time. Straight, accurate, and deep. The depth part has, has somewhat changed because it's not just about being deep; it's about appropriate depth these days. So, so deep in itself isn't just enough. But to to so, just expand a bit on that, because yeah. um, I think that we have in the past, and you've alluded to it straight away, is that uh, we have this picture of deep being you can see the number on the back of the the player in front of you. Appropriate deep. What what's the difference? Appropriate depth. Okay. Typically, offset piece or slower ball, you have to be deeper. Okay, in order to be oh, you're, you're set up, you have to you have to front load the work. So you have to be in a deep, effective position. If we are flat or we are not moving at pace, we are not effective. We're not dangerous. We're not a threat. So it's better to err on the side of depth. Now, there are sometimes changing your angle and coming in flat in a ball or an offload, you know, is, is one two yards depth. And that's absolutely appropriate and effective. But for the most part, you're looking, particularly in sevens, you're looking for more let's say, emphasize depth. Remember the danger of the opposition, the danger is when the ball is in the hands, it's not when the ball is in the air. So if, you, if you're deep enough, you give yourself the time and the space to attack someone. If you're flat, you're rushed, you're putting your teammate's skills under pressure, you make it easier for the defender. So, so depth, the third component, accuracy was the second, that goes back to the catch-pass thing. And the first is straight. So again, I'll, I'll, I won't use agricultural phrases this time, but if your shoulders and your hips are pointing down the field, north, south, good things will happen. Whether it's, whether it's a ruck, a scrum, running with a ball, you need to be square, you need to be straight. It's, it's an important thing and a, and a principle that applies to every facet of the game. Okay, can I just uh, go back to the idea of being straight so I can completely see that in uh, the ruck? But um, if I've got a defender in front of me, the space is to the side of them. So at what stage do I stop running straight? Till you fix that defender and made the pass. Right. But w- what happens if I want to run uh, and run and beat them? Because obviously in sevens, there is a, there is more space. Absolutely. I mean, you, you first, if you can skin someone, skin them. Evasive running is, is, is a skill. And so that, but that goes at odds with um, going straight then? No, it doesn't. 
your, your first um your first response if you're the ball carrying you can beat a man beat a man right but the second part of it is we're in a team game and if i have a teammate in a better position and i have to fix a defender to put him in a better position that's what i do i put him away rather than try and beat a man if so it's, a, a, it's more like a rule of thumb then if i can beat the player i will i don't have to run straight but if i can't beat the player in a team game i've got to run straight running straighter preserves space for your teammates on either side so if i go five yards across with the ball i've probably gone a couple yards too far unless i'm skinning them and scoring under the post all right okay yeah i've got it so you give them that uh there is that leeway if you're going to skin them uh but otherwise the team game so we've we've got some uh basics which are very much the individual how does that then sort of is there a sort of a system that you would say is my your default and then you build from it or are the systems completely different depending on the teams yeah i mean I, i'd like to think this day and age that you know you have a, a say seven all run rugby players or 12 all run rugby players they can play what they see but players at all levels like frameworks so i think the higher up instead of playing a particular system you have the um what i would call starter plays so you would do certain things off scrums certain things off lineouts, certain things off restarts. That gets them in the flow, and then they can play what they see. Now, some teams prefer to be rigid. Right? We're going to go wide, we're going to go wide, we're going to go wide, wide to wide, try and stretch him and, and find a mismatch. Some teams are not confident in their ability. We're going we're gonna to punch once or twice, then we're going to go wide. So all of those are valid, but they come back to understanding what your collective group's skills are and to a lesser extent what the opposition are up to. So uh, when, when you're when you're working with the team, and I think, uh, I, again, I think coaches who are listening in are probably wishing that they had uh, the seven to twelve players uh, that you you talk about. But the the reality is that you're going to have, um, as you've said, the old the old school, a couple of forwards, a couple of playmakers, a couple of speedsters. So for that level, are you is there a is there a, a framework which you would suggest would be helpful as a start helpful as a starting point? No, because again, I think you're trying to pin me down to one way of playing, and okay. there isn't just one way of playing. Okay, and um, there are multiple, and depending on the scenario and your resources. So, so I think as a coach, you have to be aware of okay, this is a possibility, that's a possibility. We might do this, but then you you can't come in and impose or straitjacket a group of players when you don't know them. I, I just think that's that's stupidity. Right. Okay. So. Let's say you've done your half an hour of assessing through the catch pass. What happens next? Well, it, I mean, it depends on your your periodization, right? Your season, and then what what your uh, training plan for that week is, perhaps, or what that session is. So, personally, with sevens, um, I I like to keep sort of one practice, one theme. So, if we're going to do you know attack or offense, or we're going to do defense, or uh, I'm a big believer in, in breakdowns. You're going to spend a lot of time in breakdowns. So that's a block in its in itself. So an attacking block, a defensive block, breakdown block, fitness block, set piece. While scrums and lineouts are less numerous and less important, they're, they're still critical. Every possession is critical in sevens. Restarts are I consider a set piece now. You know, there's more of them than scrums and lineouts, and particularly in sevens, there's a big psychological impact to to winning your restart and holding on to the ball. Attack's actually the best form of defense, right? If we maintain possession. So restarts are a big thing. So I, I tend to, okay, what, what are we trying to achieve this week? Uh, where does it fit into a season plan? What's the theme for tonight? And then I would have probably three or four. I'd have an activation, warm up, fun. I would have always have some handling component. 
and then move on to what the theme is. So if it was breakdowns, move on to that and then just hammer that for that particular session. Now, uh, the breakdown area is an interesting one in itself because um, in the very, very old days, and uh, I, I played sevens in the old days, uh, we will say avoid contact. But that's obviously things have changed a bit. I mean, inevitably, you don't want to get tackled, but there is an element of contact in it. Where does that fit into your your framework? And what, what are you trying to help the players understand about the breakdown and all the things which go around that? Yeah, so I, I think you've got to put it in context, right? So I, what I do is I'll come into practice and I'll flip it. I'll say, Dan, how many scrums in a sevens game? Approximately, no right or wrong. Uh, two. Two to four. How many lineouts? Two. Yep, one or two. How many restarts? You're doing well. Uh, six, doing seven. Well. It depends on how many times you score, yeah. Spot on. And then how many breakdowns? <sighs> well, I expect there is some context in it, but I'm going to guess. So you've got 14 minutes, uh, breakdown every 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 28. Interesting. But yeah, man, I, I would go 35 or 40. Yeah. yeah okay. So, but the point being that there are, there are 10 times as many breakdowns or 20 times as there are scrums. So as a coach and as a team, if we have clarity around our roles at breakdown and then we understand the breakdown, that is the greatest, will be the greatest source of success. Mm. So clarity around role. What is the ball carrier doing? What is the tackler doing? What is the supporting player doing? What is the second defender doing? Okay. So uh, you've given me some uh, absolutes and some uh, things which are principles. So can you give me a couple of things for each one of those roles then? Yeah, absolutely. So, but, but just Prior to that, one more point on the breakdown, because I'm very keen on breakdowns. Yeah. 76.725% of all penalties. Clearly, I made that up, but it's in the ballpark. Come at the breakdown. So the point being, if, if you're squeaky clean at the breakdown, you're not giving away penalties, and you're forcing them to avoid penalties. Oh, it is like the most one. refereed. It is the most technically uh, demanding because there are less bodies, referee sees everything. So, so I can't emphasize enough how important the breakdown is at seven. Specifically to roles, you know, ball carrier, again, to your point, we'd rather be scoring under the post. But if contact is inevitable, then what can we do? Um, you know, I sort of emphasize like four or five things. So, so we want some uh, separation. So if we can get some pre-contact footwork in, we can, you know, get to one side or the other, get on one side, the shoulder or the other is important. Ball security, taking care of the ball. Um, getting it away from the contact, obviously. And then the detail, the devil's in the detail. So once we've made the contact, it's imperative that we, we're we in charge of the situation. We have agency. We want to go past the defender, right? The old adage of, of getting past and scoring a try, it's somewhat theatrical, it's somewhat artificial, but the point remains the same. We've got to get past them because it moves their defensive line back and it makes it, you know, it it, it checks the defense. So we don't just flop down. We don't just accept contact. We explode into it, we get beyond them, and then the ball placement is critical. Tackler, safety first, eyes open, chin up, hands up, all that stuff, all the safety stuff. But then I'm sort of old school. I kind of like still chop and pop. So I like the idea of completing the tackle. Once you chop them and you complete the tackle, you're creating a contest. You're creating the the chance of a turnover. So it's to me, it's important. Low, boom, have it done. But then the second part of the tackle these days is, is the pop. Back up, back and play fast. So chop and pop, two parts to a tackle. Uh, and just uh, there's the, the first support player. What, first what support are, player what, what, in the attack is really looking to protect the ball. Obviously, if it's there, he can play away. Um, if not, it's about being in a good, strong, safe position. You know, eyes open, scanning for threats, all of that stuff. But just... Um, just being in a good position, particularly 
careful these days with your hands. Mm-hmm. Any any slip to the ground is getting pinged. That's what refs are very hot on this year. But essentially, it, it's really about securing the ball. And then the final piece of the puzzle to me is the second defender. And that this is the key person on the field who sets your tone. So his situation is different. You know, he's got his teammate, the tackler, doing his thing. He's in the red heat of battle. Stuff happens. The second defender is the one that has the decisions and the choices to make. So I, I just strip it back. I just bit, got it back down to three words. Ball, fight, leave. Those are your only choices, and they are sequential. Is the ball available? Can I steal the ball? Can I jackal? Can I steal the ball? Rare, but it's a key moment when you can to be able to identify it and execute. So your first choice is ball. If the ball isn't there or, or playable, then is there a, a, a viable contest? Uh, is there a race? Can we win? Can I beat him to the ball? Is it a physical mismatch? Do I look at him and think, I don't like the way, I mean, I like the way he is. He's sideways or he's, he's tall. He's not in a strong position. So you've just got to sort of visual cues as to when you should ruck, when you should contest. And then the, the, the final piece. So we've had ball. Second one, your second choice is fight. And your third choice is leave. If we've already lost the battle, don't fight the battle. Fight the next one. Fight the next one. So if, if we don't, if they have the ball, they're secure, they look strong, let's be a, a viable, effective defender on your toes rather than wasting a body. Great. Steve, that's been brilliant detail. Uh, and uh, we've covered a bit of defence as well as attack. So we're going to finish there. So Steve has consulted with a number of teams, including, as he's mentioned, Siena University, Brown University, Brazil, he's talked about, and Nigeria. Uh, his philosophy, wait for this, pick the right people, nudging, and you can only piss with the cock you've got. So you can contact him on Twitter, Lizard Rugby. So we're going to finish with a few questions. How old are you, Steve? Ancient. Ancient. Okay, we'll take that. What coaching book or any book is by your bedside at the moment? The Art of Living by Epictetus. A big fan, stoic philosopher. Yeah, we like a bit of stoicism. Which coach, teacher are you loving at the moment? I wouldn't say loving, but I would say greatly respecting. So particularly defensive, this mindset thing, defensive mindset. So Diego Simeone, Atletico Madrid. All right. Street fighter teeth in his knife. I mean, he is, to me, in terms of defensive mindset and about suffocating people, picking your moment, when to be ruthless, I think a lot of it translates from his sort of um, street fighting ethos, shall we say. Okay. Uh, which team, sport or subject would you love to coach at the moment? Apart from the Mighty Hoops. Teams? The Mighty Hoops. Glasgow, the famous Glasgow Celtic. <laughs> so for all those who couldn't work out uh, where you were from originally, we now know. Now uh, know. Who's inspired you most? Ooh, that's a t- tricky one. When you send that through, I had to think about it. And, and I think it's not a cop-out, but I would say right now, someone who is, is inspiring is Finn Russell, just because he doesn't give up. I, he goes out, doesn't matter the occasion, the opposition, the team. He just plays his way, takes chances, understands he's going to get some of it wrong, but obviously has this massive self-belief that thinks it's going to be a net positive. I mean, England, he was great, but only in the last 15 minutes. But I think that's inspiring. I think in this modern professional era, you've got someone who can still take a chance and uh, succeed. Uh, just to note that this uh, uh, this was recorded uh, two days after a very famous victory yep. by Scotland over England. And what, what a great match it was, too, uh, for Indeed. for all, all to watch. Uh, well, apart from the 15 England players. And what yep. would you tell your 20-year-old self to do more of? Relax and enjoy and stop being so serious and competitive and earnest and all the rest of it. But yeah, 
yeah, a little context. I mean, appreciate what I had at the time, shall we say. Okay, brilliant. Steve, really enjoyed that. Thanks very much. Okay. Cheers, Dan. Thank you.